The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today, and it's completely free. To learn more about Classcraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. I'll tell you, Glenn, I, um, I, I made a lot of these mistakes. Welcome to On Education, part of the Education Podcast Network. I am Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss whether educators should use seating charts and whether all schools should be providing free lunch regardless of family income. We will debate whether teachers can prevent future school shootings. And we have a new teacher roundtable this week where we will reflect on that first year of teaching. So, I mean, we're going to be talking to a couple new teachers or well, I guess they're not new. They're going into their second year, and this is a crazy week for them, and we're going to talk about that. But I'll tell you, I'm pretty tired. Uh, it's been a crazy week for me. I don't know about about you. You you don't go back for a couple weeks still, just like uh, just like us in, in Ontario, eh? Yes. Uh, we won't have students back until after Labor Day weekend. Uh, we do staff uh, development the week before. Yeah. And then this coming week is uh, new teacher trainings, which I'm involved in. Um, and then my wife is also involved in because she just became Giddy a new up. teacher at the school that I teach at. So that's fantastic. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall for that dynamic. It's oh, going to be great. We've taught at all kinds of schools together. It's kind of funny. <laughs> we taught we taught at the first school that we both taught at. We taught at the exact same school. And uh, actually, there's only been one year that we didn't actually teach at the same school. I mean, as far as one year where she was teaching at a different school than I have, but she taught in huh. every every school that I've taught at. So yeah, we're used to it. We're not uh, we're not thrown off by it. Nice, yeah. nice. So so last week I did. Um, I was at the Minecraft head off or Minecraft. I was at Microsoft's head office, Microsoft Canada. Uh, and um, I, I wanted to share a couple of cool things that are going on because um, I, I think that there's going to be listeners that might be interested in, in reaching out to me and, and learning about this stuff. Um, so the company I work for, Logics Academy, is is going to be putting on two-in-one-day Minecraft Education Edition summits for free for teachers. No cost for anything. It's going to be awesome. Mm. We, we were at uh, the Microsoft Canada head office for two days doing a whole bunch of Minecraft stuff, uh, and I'm super pumped about it. So if you're in Canada and listening and think that you can host uh, host us for a, uh, a Minecraft summit where we can teach some teachers how to use Minecraft in their schools, and if you have it already, obviously that's, that's um, you know, uh, the, the low bar. Um, but we'd love to, to come and I'd love to come and, and work with you. I think that'd be sweet. I'm all over Canada this week. Um, it's going to be, I'm going to be tired by the time we talk again. Uh, I'm in BC on, uh, so when you look at like pictures of BC, when you do like a Google search for British Columbia and it's all beautiful and like forests and fields and like wine, um, like orchards and stuff, mm-hmm. that's where I'm going. And that, that's the part of BC I'm going to this week. Uh, it's called Kelowna. It's in the, what's called the Okanagans. 
it's pretty nice. Nice. So yeah, it's called TeacherCon. It's put on by Canada Learning Code. So I'm in Kelowna on Wednesday and Thursday, and then Thunder Bay, Ontario, which is like probably the furthest north big city in Ontario. Hmm. Um, it's pretty far north. It's pretty darn cold there in the winter. Uh, it's like Edmonton cold. Super cold. <laughs> actually, actually, I wonder if Thunder Bay is north of Minneapolis. I'm going to have to look that up now. That's like Probably question is. of the week. Ding. Uh, yeah, Minneapolis is south central Minnesota. So we still got a lot. You know, if it, is it south of like International Falls? You know, that would be a, the northern part of Minnesota. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to So it's pretty pretty far north as far as southern Ontario is concerned. It's a good 12. No, it's longer than that. It's like a good 18-hour car drive from wow. Barrie. So uh it's it's legit far. I I'm, I'm obviously flying. Um so teacher con Canada Learning Code teacher con on uh Sunday uh as well doing dash dash stuff. Nice. So you'll see you'll see that all over Twitter. It's going to be pretty rad. Uh this dash workshop I've I've created is pretty fun when mm. uh when people do it you see it on twitter when uh when uh when i'm doing it because uh i share all of these uh these workshops out and it's pretty sweet um lots of i mean the articles this week were pretty amazing i was like into it i was reading tons of this stuff tons of interesting stuff the first one is let's let's start with good news actually i think all of these are good news this week as opposed to last week it's great mm-hmm. for um, sure Students to receive free lunches regardless of family income in Atlanta. I mean, this should be this should be something that's done, you know, everywhere. And, and again, I'll preface this by saying no one gets free lunches in Ontario at all at a, almost any school. So, um, but this is cool. This is great. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And it's interesting that there's always a divide between what they consider to be free lunch. And then we have a concept in most states. It's called reduced lunch. Right. Uh, so there's a reduced lunch cost. And then there's just a regular lunch cost. And it's all based upon family income. Yeah. One of the things that they don't a lot of times take into consideration or that I, I don't believe that they do a good enough job is uh, the cost of living in a specific sure. area. So yeah. um, where a student receiving free lunch uh, is is probably maybe vital in some families where it may look like uh, you know, as far as on paper, that it's fine that they're earning enough money, but really, realistically, with the cost of housing, especially, uh, that that may not be very much money in that specific area. So it's a very interesting concept. School lunches are a big contention in all over the United States, as far as whether or not we should be providing them, whether or not we should reduce them, those kinds of things. I'm always for it. Uh, anytime that you could just make it across the board and and students all receive a meal that for sure they can depend upon that that's a that's a winner for everybody it is it is yeah. I, I i mean if you're gonna do it you know do it for everybody make it equal make it egalitarian make it so that you know no one's above each other that's what i'm saying uh and you know it's 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 all good it's all good for everybody everybody wins in this scenario um Super interesting article on Ed Surge about school shootings. Uh, and I guess the question, can teachers prevent school shootings? What do you what do you think? It's a very clickbaity kind of title. I mean, yeah. as far as saying, can teachers prevent future school shootings? People are going to go take a look at that, which is 
props to whoever decided to put that <laughs> on there. Uh, really, what we're talking about is that uh, zero tolerance policies at schools, which basically what we're talking about is if something occurs at school, you immediately suspend. So, for example, right. I saw an article this week that really disgusted me, and it's about vaping. And vaping is a big problem in the United States and, and throughout the United States uh, and throughout income levels. Uh, and it's just a big it's a big problem. Uh, but one school has decided to take on this kind of zero tolerance policy where uh, the first offense, uh, they destroy the v- device, which is fine. Uh, but then they immediately give five days of in-school suspension, which that seems kind of crazy. And then that wasn't the craziest part. If you violated it a second time, you got a sent to an alternative school for 20 days. And so the alternative schools in the United States are pretty, it's basically the step many times. It's basically the step right before juvenile detention. So the types of offenses that get you into juvenile, uh, sorry, into an alternative school are pretty severe. I, I was in an alternative school when I was in middle school and I've told that story before. And my... Uh, the people that were attending the school with me, there was a variety of different offenses that some of them were very (laughs) severe and a lot of violent uh, students uh, that have committed violent acts are sent to alternative schools instead of, uh, you know, suspending them indefinitely out of school suspension or, or those kinds of, you know, it's kind of an alternative to that. So basically this article goes through and talks about how these types of zero tolerance policies aren't exactly the right way of base uh, of 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 dealing with these issues because we're not really dealing with them we're just kicking them out you know and we're never actually uh basically learning uh there's no learning going on as far as on the student side so uh lots of different things though in the article that are interesting It's funny my biggest takeaway from this article was that it's complicated like, there's not an easy answer for a lot of this stuff. Um, but this, like, what you're saying with zero tolerance for, like, that's taking it from, like, zero to ten, like, instantly without, like, the million steps in between that you could take to rectify a situation, right? And that's what this article is talking about as well, is that how about instead of suspending a kid who has, you know, violent thoughts and, and, and verbalizes them, Instead of suspending them, let's, heaven forbid, let's talk to the kid and, you know, get some conversation and dialogue. And this is when it says, can teachers be trained to prevent school shootings? The answer is obviously yes, in the sense that, you know, if we have a more thoughtful approach that's not based on, you know, the emotions of it that, you know, you want to, like, corner this kid off and and segregate them which actually makes it worse that's what this article says yes um is that that actually is what breeds this type of stuff yeah resentment let's let's bring them in um and the science actually says that if you bring them in and if you foster them and talk to them and communicate with them and develop relationships with them you can actually turn this around and it's like there's two conflicting sides there's like this emotional side that, you know, because we're all so scared right now, we're terrified, just generally speaking as a society, um, and the science that is pretty clear on what we should actually do, you know, and those those are conflicting. And too often, you know, this emotional side that says, you know, oh, my God, this kid is scary. Let's take the scary kid and put him with all the other scary kids. 
right, is awful. Like, I mean, that's just a terrible way to approach it. And it's just... What I would say, too, is I really love the movement, and it's been going on for a long time, of schools really getting their students involved in activities that are related with the school. So a lot of things that happen in the United States obviously have to do with athletics, but it's Mm -hmm. much beyond – it has to go beyond that. So if your school is only hyper-focused on athletics, and really that's all they they support financially – uh, mm-hmm. So we've seen that through coaching pay and those kinds of things. If that's all you're supporting, then you're only getting a, a, a certain segment of the population and then you're basically not bringing in all of these other wonderful students. So programs like theater and arts and music uh, are obviously awesome things that we should make sure that we support, but we support them not only by attending these things, but financially. So we support the coach that does this, the director, those types of things. Yeah. And then that's why we talk about two things that, okay, If you have those things, you have the art uh, types of students, the theater students, and you have activities for them and athletics, we should also have an ability for students if their passion is in gaming, as you have talked about before, that things like esports exist within schools and that you support it financially because those are things that kids are interested in. You can bring them in the fold. And when kids are part of the community, we already know they're not going to be they're not going to take these crazy extreme steps because they feel isolated. They don't feel like they belong as far as part of the community uh, because they do. You, you want to make sure that they do belong. And and I mean, this is, regardless of me, this is a predominantly boys issue. Um, you know, a lot of this article talked about, you know, that, that you know, it, that the predominant uh, mass shooter is a male and the predominant school shooter is a, is a, is a boy. And, you know, so I think the big picture in this lesson, in this topic, is how we frame things like masculinity and how we frame raising boys to become men in different and better ways than we have in the past. We are both the father of two boys. So this hits home for me pretty hard. Like, I thought about this, and and I've been thinking about it a lot the last couple years about how... I want my sons to view what it means to be a man, like literally what that looks like and how it doesn't look like the way that even I was raised to perceive what it means to be a man. And um, because a lot of what it perceived, what is perceived to be masculine has is, is being um, turned into toxic masculinity. And that's, that's what breeds this type of behavior as well. Um, so there's a lot of lessons from this article. I've I've been thinking about it all afternoon, and we're gonna put it in the show notes so you can you can take a look at it as well. And hopefully you'll you'll be just as reflective as as we've been about it. Um, the start of the school year is 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 here. So there's been a lot of interesting articles about things to do with that and one of the articles that we pulled up um also from ed surge was about seating charts and they're there whether you're pro seating chart or against you know seating charts and and um and whether they're valuable what do you what do you think glenn um i always tell people i mean is, as an instructional coach or whether i was a colleague of mine that's was maybe a new teacher or even that wasn't a new teacher i just told them that there was a huge value in having seating charts. 
uh, that's, yeah. that it's, that it develops consistent routines. Obviously it's an efficient way to take attendance. So, you know, mm-hmm. if a kid is not in class and then that may be something you need to be, uh, reporting to your office, which most of us do on a, on an hourly basis. If we're, especially at the secondary level, um, uh, as the article states, it maximizes learning potential. It absolutely does. And then the most critical part that when people say that they don't have seating charts is you might be missing a huge component on a- accommodation. So IEPs or 504 plans that talk about the specific accommodations of students and where they need to be seated, whether it be preferential seating towards the front of the class because of vision issues or towards the door because of other types of issues that they need to make sure that they can leave the classroom quietly and easily without uh, it being a big deal. Uh, so those kinds of things are super important. And the only way that that actually happens is with the a seating chart. Now, what I always tell people too is this doesn't have to be the place where they just sit for the next 50 or 70 minutes or however sure. long your no, class periods are. Yeah. If you have flexible uh, seating uh, spaces and uh, you have uh, you want to have some movement, even if you don't have flexible seating spaces and you have stations and whatever you decide to go ahead and do, you want to make sure your kids get up and about your class in a variety of different ways ways Mm -hmm. through the class period. And this is just a great way to make it a home base. And make sure, I would say it's so key for your substitute teachers to to step into a classroom. Even a colleague would step into my class in an emergency. I stepped out. They could step in. My seating chart is there and it's accurate attendance. And I can can deal with behavioral issues of my students very easily because I can just call on their name. When someone says your first name, it's yeah. much different than going, hey, you or whoever might be, right, right. you know, or pointing at them or whatever it might be. When someone says it, it's like, oh, they know who I am. And it's just, it's a big deal. So really important thing. And I think uh, make sure that, uh, you know, the research shows that I would say super pro yes to make, make sure you have seating charts for your students. So yeah, put some thought into where your kids are sitting. I think it's good. Um, it, it certainly doesn't do any harm, uh, and it, it has a lot of payoffs. So um, seating charts good, I think, is where we've come down on this, mm-hmm. and we'll put that article in the show notes as well. Uh, again, with um, our theme of, of the new year and, and, and stuff like that and, and new teachers, uh, fun article on Education Week about nine mistakes that new teachers make. Uh, I'll tell you, Glenn, I, um, I, I made a lot of these mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I read through it and I was like, oh, crap, I did that one. Oh, oh, I did that one, too. Oh, yep. did that one, too. Oh, for sure. And I don't think it's just limited <laughs> to new teachers. So I think anybody could learn from this uh, and just take a look at it and make sure, sure that yeah. uh, the biggest one to me that just jumps out. Uh, well, there's two that are jumping out. But one of them that I think especially new teachers need to realize and a lot of educators that I know that aren't new teachers need to realize is that you don't have to grade everything. Yeah, and we that, talked about this. And a bit. that can become an overwhelming part of what you end up spending your mm-hmm. time on versus the development relationship of your students with your students. Uh, what the uh, so the lesson planning that actually takes place for your classes, so you can make dynamic lesson plans, and so much other types of things that can take place. So you don't have to grade everything. There's all kinds of, of ways to be able to uh, not have to grade everything. So first of all, is the culture of building into your classroom that everything is not about grubbing points, and then you can you can yeah. work with that then too. And then as you'll hear in the uh, conversations, even with the new teachers, I, probably the one 
on there was the avoiding parent contact, <laughs> uh, which stepping out and right away at the beginning of the school year, uh, making sure that your parents uh, know who you are and what you actually teach and then give them a, a something positive right away at the beginning of the year because you don't want yeah. that first phone call to be that negative phone call. The first time they ever hear your voice is something negative. Um, yeah. And then parents, yeah. 99% of the time, will come onto your side and will help you out and you will work as a team together to make sure to, to address any of the situations that are happening with the students, especially if they're on the negative end. So many good pieces mm-hmm. of advice in this article, things to even if you're not a, a new teacher to refresh your memory and, and build habits. I think that uh, building habits uh, of doing these things will set you a, a long way ahead of, of the pack. When we come back, we're really excited about this. This is a new teacher roundtable we've decided to have. We, for the first time ever, we're having five people on the podcast at the same time. Um, we've invited Stephanie Viscara, Jonathan Pulliam, and Susan Jehemiak to the podcast uh, to talk about what their experience was like being a first-year teacher as they head into their second year. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. On Education is brought to you by Pick My Kid. Pick My Kid is an automated dismissal solution that cuts car line time in half. It engages parents with a parent app by being able to change dismissal routines right from their phone. Friends, that means no more front office calls. Pick My Kid is affordable for schools and removes dismissal stress for parents, teachers, and staff. For more information, visit pickmykid.com. That's P-I-K-MyKid.com. On Education is brought to you by Taylor Ed. As teachers meeting the needs of each and every student in today's classroom is time-consuming, complicated, and overwhelming. Taylor Ed makes differentiation in math effortless through curated resources, smart student grouping, and student insights beyond proficiency. Sign up today using the promo code ONEDUCATION and receive three months on us. Visit taylor-ed.com for more information. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Being a first-year teacher is hard, like really hard. Uh, I've said it a few times on the podcast that my first year of teaching was brutal. Um, Obviously, everyone's experiences are a little bit different. I think it's safe to assume that some teachers have awesome and not brutal first years. Um, But we wanted to, a few months ago, we floated the idea of getting some people together to talk about that first year experience and their thoughts about going into their second year. Some um, teachers are just starting to get into that second year and we wanted to chat about that. We think we've gathered a great cross-section of educators with us today. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Stephanie Viscara, Jonathan Pulliam, and Susan Jehemiak to the podcast. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike, for inviting us. For having us. Thank you. Um, So let's go one by one. Just introduce yourselves, share a little bit about where you are. Uh, Actually, it would be really fun just even for context, all three of you have changed your positions from last year as well. So maybe share what you did last year and this year, because that's, I think, a really interesting part of this story as well. Go ahead. 
Um, hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Pulliam. I am currently teaching ninth grade English and honors literature in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, first year teaching high school, second year teaching. Last year, I was in New York City. I was teaching fifth and sixth grade social studies. Um, right now, we are now in our third week of having kids. So that's been absolutely crazy. Ninth graders are awkward and weird. <laughs> <laughs> excited to, to be here. Okay, uh, hello everyone. Um, I'm Stephanie Vizcarra. I teach in El Centro, um, California, so about 90 miles east of San Diego. Um, I taught fourth grade last year. Um, I loved it. I got moved to fifth grade this year. Um, something exciting is definitely the fact that I'm going to have my, my kids, or I should say half of my kids from last year. So um, I'm excited to, you know, keep building those relationships with them this coming year. Hello. So my name is Susan Jehemiak, and I am starting my second year. I taught fourth grade at a Catholic school in Oak Forest, Illinois, and now I am teaching sixth grade math in Joliet, Illinois. Very cool. Go dude, going from grade five to high school is huge. That's awesome. I give you respect for even being brave enough to, to, to try it, let alone. You know, awesome. Very cool. Um, so my first year of teaching, um, and, and that's why I always say it was brutal, or why I say teaching first year is hard, because my first year was tough. Um, but I do have a really funny story about my, my first year. Our school had an open house uh, before the first day of school, it was my first chance to meet the parents and students, and I was super nervous. I had decorated my class with some video game stuff because I'm a video game person. I, I, I play lots of video games, whatever. I had uh, a few Minecraft posters and a bunch of other things, um, Fallout stuff and, and stuff like that all around the class. And I remember a small group of boys coming into the room. I think they were at that time in grade seven and giving me kind of the, a, a look. They kind of sized me up a little, looked me up and down and kind of looked around the room a little. And then one of the boys clearly like the leader of the pack and it's like super serious he's like yo do you play league it's <laughs> like <laughs> and they were they they were totally wondering like if i was for real if the if the minecraft stuff was a joke or if i was legit like if i knew my stuff they were absolutely like measuring me up um and I ended up having like this super long conversation with the group about League of Legends and about MOBAs and about which one was better. And, you know, they didn't like my take that League was a little overrated and all of this stuff. It was really, it was fun. And I think it actually set the tone for my entire, I spent my entire time, I spent six years at that school and it set the tone for my entire time at the school. I think that one conversation. I'm wondering if you had any similar story about your first year getting to know your students and, and your new career, it doesn't have to necessarily be the first day or the first week or whatever, but something that really set the tone for the way that you, the way that you proceeded through the rest of the year um, that you just went through. Um, I think that, so last year I was teaching like middle schoolers and I think just like me being like very idealistic, the way our school was set up was that um, teachers had like our own like workspaces and offices and we would like come in and teach like in the classrooms for at homerooms and stuff like that. 
Um, and so for me, I was like, oh, I didn't have, I'd have my own classroom, but I had my own like office space. And so first day I was like, I have an open door policy. If you want to have lunch with me, you can, if you want to like sit and do homework, um, you can. And I think for like really little kids, just like being invited into like adult spaces, that's like really big for them. And what I saw was like kids, I kind of said it in passing, but the kids were like, Mr. Pulliam, guess what I'm going to do? I'm like what? He's like, we're going to have lunch today. I was like, we are? He's like, yeah, you said your door is always open. <laughs> I was like, every year. And so it went from like one kid, um, just like having lunch with him on like Tuesdays to him bringing like his friend and then, then bringing their friends. And then like, and look, there's six kids around my desk and I have 20 minutes to eat lunch, but it's okay. Um, so I think like doing things like that really like set the tone for like building trust with kids. And that was like really big for me. So uh, for me, I can recall um, a few moments, but I think um, uh, there was a group of girls in my class. Um, There's this one uh, Korean student who, um, you know, I, I really connected with. Uh, I was playing some music in the background and she kind of came into my classroom one day and it was actually K-pop. And so she, I remember her being like, oh my gosh, you like K-pop too? And I'm like, yeah. So that def- definitely like set the tone for the remainder of the year. Like we definitely connected in that sense. And um, yeah, it was, it was great, you know, ha- having that similar, those similarities with her, um, especially being, uh, I guess you can say a little bit of an outsider just because the majority of our population is um, our ELL learners. And so um, that definitely, you know, helped like for, to build our relationship. Yeah. And I had students this year where I'm just starting my second year and I have kids who, when I was going over their lockers, on Friday and trying to open them for the 20th time because of course sixth graders need help with their lockers. And then there's girls like who are next to my classroom and they're talking to me and it was nice to build that relationship with some, but they're all wondering if I'm new. So they were asking. And so I got a chance to really talk to them and interact with them because they were in my math class. So it's kind of nice to build that relationship with them from the beginning. And hopefully that continues to play out throughout the year. Hey, Jonathan, I was curious, you, you ate lunch with your kids and did you do this like every week every day probably it started out every week and then kid started out once a week with one or two kids and then it kind of bloomed into it was almost an everyday thing and so kids would have lunch and the teachers I was like you're off period if you like weren't on duty for that Uh and so I'd be in my office and kids would be like having lunches and it would be just like a knock on the door like a knock on the door frame like, Mr. Pulliam, do you have a chair? Like, yeah, sure, come in. And we, I didn't have anything, like, planned for them to do, but it was just, like, you can eat your lunch, we can talk, I'm going to do work. Um, this is, like, a space that you can be in. And so, yeah, it went from being once or twice a week with maybe three, two or three kids to every single day. Um, it was fun. It was really fun. How did, you, how did you think of it in terms of, like, like I mean, for some teachers, lunch – is kind of like a personal a, a time to like be quiet and re- like for me I was like I don't want to really talk to anybody like I didn't actually even really eat lunch in the staff room very often because I just needed like I need like 45 minutes where no one is like yelling and, <laughs> right uh just like like so I can like 
recharge a little bit. You, you didn't find that it, you were always on for lack of better words when you have kids in your, your room over lunch. Did, 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 did you find that or were you cool with that? I guess some people are different in that way, right? I mean, I think just the way like my schedule was set up was um, at the end of the day, kids would have like PE and that was also kind of like an off period. So that was when I more or less use it for like my own quiet time. But I figured 20 minutes, if they're into it, I'm into it. It doesn't like it wasn't that much of a a thing for me just to like invite them in. And it worked really well. It transferred really well over into classes. Um, but yeah, I, I really like I got to the point where I was looking forward to it. Nice. That's awesome. And I feel like I can relate with that, um, Jonathan, because I, you know, I was probably uh, one of the few teachers that did that at my school. And, um, you know, the girls kind of started coming in and then I saw the guys, the boys, like kind of dwindling in. And then, um, so I started like asking them, are you guys just in here because it's hot outside or do you guys really just want to stay in here? (laughs) Um, But no, they ended up visiting like quite often. And again, like you mentioned, I I also didn't mind. I I enjoyed the company. So um, there was some days where, you know, they wouldn't come in, but the days that they would like, you know, it was... I appreciated the company, so it was nice. So what I didn't realize when I first became a teacher was how many other things there were as far as being part of being a teacher, like testing or meetings and all these duties and paperwork. And sometimes these things seem to take away from what I love to do, which was teaching my students. Mm -hmm. And so can you share your thoughts on what were surprising parts of being a teacher? Um, surprising parts. I think like you, like you mentioned, just a lot of like paperwork and meetings and reporting to things and calendar invites and all of these, I feel like teaching is maybe like 65% like what you do in the classroom. And then like all these other. Absolutely. Um, and I think coming in, I didn't study education. I was an English major. So I came in like having to learn a lot. Um, and something that really surprised me was just the amount of, I know I taught at a, I've taught at a charter, at charter schools for the last two years. Um, and so there's this like aspect of coaching and we're watching videos of you teaching and like really, I wasn't expecting like, yes, you're here to be a teacher, but you're also like on this like growth thing that I, was really foreign to me. It's like, oh wait, someone else is coming in my classroom. What's an observation? yes sure let's do this that was a thing yeah so for for me I I I can definitely relate with you Glenn in the in the sense that you know all of this like paperwork and meetings and I think that's you know being naive coming in so brand new you know you really don't know what to expect Um, and it was definitely a learning year for myself um, in terms of that a lot of questions were asked you know just about any time that I could ask a question I was asking questions uh, to my colleagues and um, anybody that really was willing to help so um, that definitely was something that coming in I was not anticipating I I, like you said I was just thinking about the teaching like how is it going to be in my classroom and little did I know there was a lot more you know to being hired as a first year teacher that than just you know teaching and being in the classroom but outside the classroom too yeah and I agree I think that last year was definitely a learning curve because Mm. you come in ready to teach but then there's so much thrown at you too from all ends because you want to be 
that good teacher in the classroom, but then there's those meetings and paperwork and testing that comes up. And then sometimes you just get overwhelmed with all the other things, but you want yes. to focus on the students. So I know that even this year when I'm starting at a new position, I feel the same way with all the other things that are coming up because of course I went in so excited to meet the students and I focus on them, but then you remember how many other things you have kind of on the back burner to do. So that kind of gets in the way because you're juggling both sides. Yeah, Even just the beginning of the year, I don't know if you guys feel that right now. Um, just all of those meetings that take place on all of those professional development days where mm -hmm. you don't really get a chance to do what you actually want to be doing, which is mm -hmm. preparing what you're doing, Stephanie, right now, you know, as far as getting your room prepared, making sure that that first day, first week is going to go really well. And I, I think that definitely our administrators, you know, kind of rethink those kind of trainings all pushed to the front of the year. Cause my goodness, that beginning of the year, we're, we're all like thinking about our kids <laughs> and what we're going to be delivering there. And the more that you take away from that, the more that you are going to spend, you know, be at school till midnight. Um, at least that's yeah. how I was feeling. And even for myself, I mean, coming from fourth grade and moving on to fifth grade, I have to learn basically or get familiar with, you know, a whole new um, yes. curriculum, you know, right. I'm teaching, yeah. yes, it's building on, you know, uh, fourth grade um, standards that I have already taught, but fifth grade, like I, you know, I, I'm still brand new, you know, I still consider myself a rookie in a sense. So I still need to learn, you know, all of the, the fifth grade standards. So, I mean, that's definitely something else to, to keep in mind as, um, as we're going through the year. So I was thinking about also that teaching itself, and, and it's hard to explain to anyone that's not in the teaching profession that it can be like a super big grind as far as once the year starts going and that uh, teacher burnout is actually a real thing. So as February approaches each year, I have to remind myself of that fact and that this is part of the... Uh, that that's part of the doldrums of the teaching year. So were there parts of this year that felt like a grind and what did you do to be able to get through it? I mentioned last year that it really felt like really taxing, really probably October and then mm -hmm. March. So it's this weird stretch between like the longer periods before breaks or like we're in testing or like curriculum was really picking up or like all these different things. And what really helped was like having like a work, a work, best friend that you can complain to but also just like being clear like okay we have this many days until like the next break we have this many days until a long weekend um just because it gives you like something to look forward to and then also just finding i had a, I had a colleague where every single day we have to tell each other what was like what did you win on today so that like, i think as a teacher you get very like hypersensitive or hyper focused on what you like didn't do well in the day mm. um but being able to say like oh okay well jamal turned in his homework and he got an A on it and that's a win or I got through to I got through all my exit tickets today and like most of my classes that was a win so like tracking whether like there's a break you're looking forward to or just tracking like what did you win on for the day that was something that really like helped me just like stay sane in those like points of the year. For me, I also had that one person that I would just kind of, um, luckily for me, there was another uh, colleague that was uh, first, or not necessarily a first year teacher, but first to the district. So I, I was, we were kind of like helping each other out 
uh, in a sense, because we would go and he, like uh, Jonathan mentioned, just kind of debrief and reflect on on what went on, you know, um, that day or that week. And um, that was something that was really helpful, you know, just being a, a first year first year teacher. It was um, it was I appreciated it very much because it was it was nice to have that one person to talk to about uh, the good and the bad throughout the year. <laughs> Yeah, and I agree. I like the reflection part. I know that last year there weren't a lot of new teachers at my school. I felt like I was the, maybe there were two brand new teachers. So it was definitely different because we, I had a lot of veteran teachers in my hallway, but I didn't get a chance to interact with them as much because they kind of had their own style and they had their own colleagues that they built relationships with. So it's hard to kind of just jump in there. But I know that this year there's 20 new teachers in my school and a lot of oh, them wow. are first year. So I'm getting the chance to go downstairs and talk to them and we're all in the same boat. So we kind of understand what's going on. And I know that I was looking at the new teacher. There's like a cycle on Twitter that they show kind of like the months and the phases that new teachers are in. Mm -hmm. So I know that I was looking at that and I could have related to those phases during last year. So there's always that one, that part of the year where it is hard and you're trying to do so much, so then you kind of get burnt out a little bit. So then that's when I went on Twitter and I tried to go on some educational chats to recharge those batteries that night, and that helped. But also just taking time for myself is really important. Yeah. Just to add to that, I think um, from my you know perspective, I had the opportunity to attend a lot of um, PD you know uh, educational conferences throughout the year. Um, too many to count, <laughs> too many that I should, too many, you know, um, but it was, it was definitely an experience and there was a lot of learning that took place, you know, at those conferences and I was grateful to be able to attend as a first year teacher because um, I don't think we have that opportunity, you know, as, as first year teachers to, to really seek, you know, that, that help and, you know, it definitely changed my, my teaching and I learned a lot. Did any of you guys do any observations of other teachers? So, I mean, I don't know if they had those kind of programs. I know, Jonathan, you were talking about people observing you, and we do the focus on that. But I always wonder, too, uh, the great benefit of being able to just – there's all these different types of techniques that teachers have from getting a class started to exit tickets – to everything in between the way that they deliver a lesson, technology, whatever, that you can pick up these little tricks of watching someone just teach a, you know, a couple of lessons. Do any of you guys uh, have districts that do those kind of things? Yeah, um, both last year and this year, me and my grade team kind of as a, as a team decided that that was something we wanted to prioritize was like going into each other's classrooms. Um, and so last year for fifth and sixth grade, that was, I would, people would be in each other's classrooms like maybe twice a week, if it, even if it was just for like 10 or so minutes, just to kind of see, okay, what are you doing? How do you interact with maybe kids I'm having trouble with? Or like, how can I, even at some point, jump in and like help you like lead part of a lesson? That was really beneficial. And even this year, um, we're three weeks into the school year and people are already kind of starting to pop into other people's classrooms, just kind of see like we learn the best from doing, I think. And so seeing how someone else does, that's already like benefited me and like improved how I'm um, working with my kids now. And like that's been, seeing other people teach, that's been really, that's been really cool. 
So my administrator actually did offer that, um, which I was very grateful for. Um, however, with the busy schedule and everything, we just couldn't figure out um, a date for me to observe uh, one specific teacher here at my site. Um, however, that one teacher I was supposed to observe is going to be my new partner for fifth grade. So we're working closely wow. together and, you know, I got lucky in that sense. Um, and he's definitely a veteran teacher and I have a lot, you know, to learn from, from him. So I'm excited for that new uh, collaboration with him. Yeah, and I had that opportunity during student teaching where I got to go into other classrooms and observe them and take notes. And I learned a lot from that. But now, last year, I didn't really get a chance to do that. But this year, my principal did say that we could go to our colleagues' classrooms during our plan time because we have like an individual plan for 40 minutes and then a team plan for the last half. So we have a whole block of time that's designated for planning with our team. So they are emphasizing that we do go to other classrooms and see what's working because we have the same students and that helps with knowing your kids and sometimes other teachers in your hallway have a better relationship with some students just because their personality clicks more. So knowing what works for that kid and seeing things that you could possibly try is really helpful. Awesome. So it seems like we're in a, a bit of a reflective mood, which is great. Reflecting is, is awesome. So what are... This is like the, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of two stars and a wish. This is like the, the, the two, things that, two things that you like and the one thing you, you do better. It's a, it's a good reflection strategy for kids. What are, so we're going to do that. We're going to do two stars and a wish, guys. <laughs> what are two things you feel you did really well last year? Uh, and one thing, you're, let's, uh, one thing you're focusing on for this year? What is your big focus for this year? So two things you thought you did really well last year in your first year and one thing that you're focusing on for this year. Um, two things I think I did really well last year were keeping parents in the loop. Um, so uh, either, super like, important. Yeah. So either making like, te like texting parents or like making phone calls just to, like kid had a good or had a positive or like maybe not their best day. That was really like, that helped me a ton. And then something else I think I did really well was kind of going back to the whole observing, but also just like talking and gaining and like learning from other teachers. So like finding community, whether that was on Twitter or whether that was like conferences, I think that networking as a teacher in like a professional sense, that was something I got pretty good at and that like improved how my classrooms were running just from like constantly learning from other people. One thing uh, that I wish would have been uh, last year was asking for help more. Mm -hmm. So in the heat of it, when like you're behind on grades or when you're like behind on all these other things, I think I was not as good at just like asking for help from other people. Um, like you have a team that you're supposed to lean on if you need it. I was just kind of like the person that wanted to get it all done and like be, have, like get it done myself. Um, I think I could have like done a lot better in that area. I think I can agree with Jonathan in the um, asking for help. I think, you know, being a first year teacher, you tend to uh, not want to look bad, you know, and you want to seem like, yeah. oh, I've got this, like, I don't yeah. need help. Um, but I, I can definitely agree that that's, that would be one of my wish, uh, one of my wishes, I guess you can say for, uh, from last year. Um, something that I felt like I did really well was um, definitely um, connect with my students and build those relationships, my students and my parent and the parents. Um, 
So I'm looking forward to continuing that um, this coming year. So. And I think my two things that I did well was I connected with my parents and then I also sent a lot of positive emails home and that helped a lot because my students right. knew yes. that they would be getting a positive email because I would tell them that, oh, I'm sending emails home. I just want to get in touch with the parents and say something good about their kids that I noticed. And then they were all excited when they came back and were like, oh, I got an email from you. And they seen my kids were really excited about that. I also cultivated a growth mindset in my classroom. So I started playing around with getting my students to really embrace that. So that's something that I'm still pushing this year. And I think I agree with the wish that again, of asking for help, I think I think that that's something that as a first year teacher, I agree with Stephanie about how you're afraid to ask for help because you don't want to seem like you need that support, I guess, because you want to seem like you have it all together. And sometimes it gets to that point where you're busy with things in your classroom and you wish you had time to say something or ask, but then the teacher's across the hall and then you end up trying to figure it out. But if you ask for help, I think it would be more effective. So I know that that's something that I'm working on. I'm still not the best at it, but I am trying to get myself into that zone of reaching out and asking someone, whether that's a colleague or just someone in my building who I trust and see if I can get to that answer. Hmm. It's funny now that I'm thinking back and I've been, I've been doing a lot of reflecting about my time in the classroom, but now that I'm thinking back and all three of you actually said that you, you had really good contact with parents and I actually didn't. And that I, I can totally see now, especially now that I'm thinking back over my time, especially my first year, but frankly, uh, a lot of my time in the classroom, I, it was probably the thing I did the worst. Um, was was having good relationships, good communication, super good communication with with my parents, um, uh, the parents of my students, uh, and I think it makes a I think it makes a huge difference. Um, uh, and I know you, you know it's funny that I know this to be true, and I still probably uh, even though I got better at it, I probably didn't still didn't do as good a job as 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 I could have. Um, so I mean, I think that. You guys all sound like you got it all under control. Hey, no, listen, knowing your strengths and weaknesses is super huge <laughs> and, and really important. And, and uh, you know, um, it's, it sounds great that you guys are super reflective about that stuff. Um, so put yourselves in the shoes of the instructional coaches or your mentors or the principal, anyone who was – let's say directly responsible for your growth, your, your improvement as an educator. Um, can you share something you thought they did well for you and maybe share something you think could have been improved in your first year when it comes to the professional support you received? We're, we're asking this question specifically because we know that a lot of instructional coaches and principals and superintendents listen to this show. Um, we're hoping that they will be listening and thinking about what you guys are saying and reflecting on it themselves about what they do at their districts and their schools and, and maybe, you know, putting in place some of your ideas. So this is your opportunity really to, to talk about what you think these folks could do, uh, what they've done well and what they've done better. Um, so I, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, when I think about my instructor coach last year, one thing I think she did really well was setting um, 
setting smart goals. So goals that not only saying, okay, we want fifth grade here by this time, but like making sure goals that are set either for me or for kids are really measurable and like very like time, like they're very time sensitive. So for me as a person, I like deadlines. I like knowing like what's expected, like what's happening. So in terms of just like goal setting and like, making sure like run a, a path for success. I think she did, she was very good on making sure goals were measurable. So like at the end of the day, did we or did we not do it? Okay, yes, no, why, how can we fix that? And then action plan for later. What I think maybe could have been done better as just as someone on the receiving end of coaching was sometimes I felt like coaching was very like not specific to me. Mm-hmm. So what are, how can we work through how can I best like use my strengths to get to these goals as opposed to this is just what like a fifth grade teacher here at X school should be doing. I think that's great if you have like, in terms of like a school vision. However, I thought a lot of that wasn't specific to me. And so throughout the year, me and my coach are kind of like had this weird tension because it didn't feel personal as opposed to just like the professional, I think. So, um, For me, something that I really appreciated um, as a first year was the fact that um, both, you know, administrators and, you know, reading coaches or um, they really made me feel comfortable, which was something that, um, you know, was was good for me because I even though it was professional, I definitely felt like I could um, go and ask for help as needed, um, you know, and and it always it almost felt like like we had like some type of friendship, like in it, yes, it felt professional. It was professional, but it felt more um, laid back. I didn't feel so much pressure, you know, in, in that sense. So I really appreciated that because it, it made me, um, the few times that I did ask for help, it made me feel a lot more comfortable going and asking for help. Um, so that's something that I definitely, you know, think that was done well. Um, something that I think could have been done better or I would have appreciated more of is probably, um, like Jonathan mentioned, more personalized, you know, um, opportunities, like conversations, you know, um, as a first year, I, I would have liked more, um, yeah, I had observations, but maybe more like checkups, you know, like, how's it going? Um, how you doing? Is everything good? Um, maybe that type of a thing. Um, I think, you know, being a first year, like we met, like we all mentioned, uh, seeking for help is probably not coming from our end. So um, a checkup would have been nice, like, you know, um, just here and there, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, and I think something that went well with me was that I definitely felt supported last year, but I feel like the amount of support is vastly different than what I'm getting now. I had a principal last year, but I didn't really have an instructional coach. So because I was at a Catholic school and we just didn't have that in place. And I felt like because I wasn't like I was a new teacher, but we never had a formal new teacher training. I was never assigned a formal mentor. So I think things were different. But now going into my district now, I have a mentor for my district that checks in and is coming once a month at least to check up and see how things are going. I have my math instructional coach. Then I have two mentors at my school. So I feel like I have a lot of people in place that are there to support, which is really nice because when you're newer, especially going into a new school and a new grade level, that support is definitely needed. So I feel like having someone in place that's just one-on-one 
is really beneficial because my principal admitted last year that she could have been more supportive. And I know that it's hard because as an admin, you are in so many different roles as well. And you have a lot going on, but I feel like it's definitely helpful if that administrator does come and check, even ask how things are going like Stephanie said. I know that that pays for a lot forward because it helps because I know it shows a new teacher that you have someone that understands what you're going through and wants to help you be successful. Very cool. Uh, listen, friends, this was so cool. Um, we've never had five people on the podcast at once. It was an adventure figuring out even how to, to do it. Um, and, and listen, uh, we wish you all three of you the best of luck in your second year. Uh, it sounds like you've all put a lot. We know like even from Twitter, you know, just all three of you on Twitter, you're putting a lot of passion and energy and time and thought into your classrooms and, and how to teach. And, and I think that, I think that that's awesome. So, uh, uh, Stephanie, Jonathan and Susan, thanks so much for joining us on, on this, on this episode. Uh, and we can't wait to, to see how your second year goes. Thanks for the invite and the opportunity, Mike. I appreciate it. Much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. I loved it. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the Education Podcast Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Jennifer Gonzalez, Matt Miller, and many more by visiting edupodcastnetwork.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.